Hi-Fi or Die-Fi, and welcome to Large Popcorn, a space where friends gather around to have elevated and comfortable discussions about all things film in the least pretentious way possible. Or at least we hope. For those of you who don't know me, I am your host, Christian Macias, and alongside me today is returning guest back by popular demand, because we can't get (laughs) enough of this guy. He is, of course, the Italian misanthrope and film homie. You may know him from um, one of the co-hosts of movie podcast, Remember the Film, as well as one half of the new podcast, I'm So Tired. He is, of course, Hugo Penai. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Well, good morning. Good yeah, night for, for me, me yeah. but hello. <laughs> how, how do say good evening in Italian? Bonsoir? No, no, no. That's Buonasera. 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 Thank you. Buonasera. Yes. How you doing today? That would be, yeah. Good evening. Doing all right. Doing all right. Yeah. Very excited to get into the sci-fi stuff. Oh, but you you really caught me off guard with that intro. Like I had to hold in a laugh <laughs> the sci-fi to not sci-fi. spoil your intro for the. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? Listen, each episode just gets more and more ridiculous. This is just how it goes. That's, yeah, that's the point. Though. That's that's the fun. For listeners here, and, and of course, I know Jackson's listening. Hi, Jackson. Um, for others who aren't <laughs> familiar, Hugo's a big sci-fi guy. Um, so he's yeah. he, he's welcome here because we're big sci-fi fans here at Large Popcorn. So this is going to be a great episode. I can't wait to get into it. But first, let's finish up the rest of the introduction. Remember that each week, a new episode of Large Popcorn goes live where I and a guest talk about the latest in cinema world news, whether it be film reviews, discussions, and much, much more. If you like what you hear, please give us a sub on your favorite podcast service of choice, and remember to leave a review because that does indeed help us out. If you have any questions, please DM them directly to at Large Popcorn Pod for a chance to get those read on the show. Um, Again, remember, a new episode goes live every Tuesday, so we sincerely hope that you stick around. As always, all the resources and items we discuss in the show today will be down in the show notes below for your leisure. Um, Different setup today. For now, we're going into our first segment, not real roundup. Today, we're doing a special segment called the storyboards that I am doing for the first time with you, Hugo. So strap in. Okay, let's see what it is. So the storyboards, this is going to be a history of whatever topic um, we're talking about oh interesting so personal history let's get to know you a bit better because i know you're a big sci-fi fan and i've heard you talk a little bit about it before on you know on on islam streams and such but i wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth directly on the show so my first question for you hugo and we can go back and forth is um yeah how did you get first get into sci-fi oh okay um how did how did i not first like i feel like i've been into sci-fi my whole life Mm -hmm. um I really can't remember a time before I was, you know, a Star Wars fan, for example, or, or even the even the cartoons or like um, the, the stuff that I used to watch on TV that I kind of gravitated towards as a kid was always, you know, either sci-fi or fantasy. I think uh, the reading that I did as a kid was a lot of... Uh-oh. Classic Italian internet, folks. Hugo's just dead. He t- <laughs> He just he just vanished. Let's see if he, let's see if he's still in Discord. And I can edit this after. Or if this is funny enough, I might just leave it in. Cause Hugo just he just he just vanished. Oh, this is awesome. I'm gonna shoot him a DM, and we we can edit it. Hi, he's just, bro. Hi. I was losing it, dude. <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't notice, and I kept on talking. And I... <laughs> oh man, that was so hilarious, dude. The way, the way, like the way your voice sounded as you disappeared was hilarious. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the so last, the where, la- where did I disappear? The last thing I heard was, uh, you were talking about Star Wars and like stuff you're watching as a kid. Yeah. Uh, oh, fuck. Okay. Uh, should I just, just talk? Yeah, and... just talk. I'm going to edit it anyway. For the sake of post-production, Hugo is now back. Yes. Um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, so, okay, yeah. So, I, I basically, I don't really remember a time before I was a sci-fi fan. Um, a lot of the reading that I did as a kid was what I was either sci-fi or fantasy. And I, I think a lot of the reading that I did was kind of a bit more towards the fantasy side. But for some reason, as a visual medium, so, you know, film and cartoons and, and even some comic books, sci-fi was something that always looked more interesting to me. Um, cause I, and I remember kind of noticing the sci-fi elements, even in stuff that wasn't necessarily like primarily a sci-fi thing. So I was always very interested in like the cool tech that you could see in like superhero movies. Like for example, in the Incredibles, I was so interesting. I got into this idea of these robots that they were building and this idea that they were improving the technology to keep up with these superhuman abilities and how, you know, after each and every superhero, they, they improve the robot somehow to make it even stronger. Um, so, yeah, basically, I think Star Wars was my kind of entry into the idea of sci-fi, but I, mm. I really can't remember a time before I kind of liked this genre. What about you? Yeah, oh, thank you for asking, because I needed that segue. I was just going to talk about myself. Um, yeah. It's weird. I I can. The way I describe it, I guess that I can think of is it's like. My corny answer is it's like falling in love, but a more serious <laughs> answer, I guess, is like falling asleep. You don't realize you're falling asleep until you are until you right. Yeah. And that's kind of my similar, um, I guess, love with sci-fi. I didn't realize I love sci-fi until I said I noticed it. I was like. Oh my god! A lot of my favorite movies, a lot of the stuff that I seek out, that I'm into, that I want to um, immerse myself in, that I want to study, is sci-fi. Mm. And much like yourself, the, the stuff that I gravitated to as a kid growing up was a lot of science fiction elements. Of course, yeah, like you mentioned, Star Wars. I love the Matrix. I told, <laughs> I mentioned this once in a Twitch comment that I once bought the Matrix at a um, at the swap meet, uh, but it was called El Matriz. And it was a all in Spanish. <laughs> yes, I remember this. Yeah, it was in Spanish with English subtitles. Hilarious. One of my favorite bootlegs that I've ever owned. I have to find that. Um, Amazing. And I guess even stuff as a kid, like, you know, um, The Iron Giant for me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's another one. And, and like, yeah, I remember even video games. A lot of video games oh, had yeah. some sci-fi elements, and I was like, oh, that's, oh, look at this cool tech that I can use as Raiden, and, you know, it was amazing. I think that's mostly the thing for me is that it's just like one of the coolest genres, right? Yeah, as- it really as- is. Aesthetically, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. is-, is there someone uh, that introduced you to any, uh, like some of your favorite films without really getting too, too into the minutia of the films itself? I mean, I definitely, I I have a very strong sort of emotion. I- I've told this story before, uh, in different places but i have a very strong emotional attachment to the matrix trilogy as a whole because as a kid um 
I think I was like nine years old and my parents had split up. So my dad was kind of, you know, a bit depressed and sort of, you know, how, how uh, when parents divorce and, and, you know, your parents want to please you in every way because they don't want, want to make you feel like it was your fault or anything. So mm-hmm. he was like, eh, you're nine years old. You're old enough for these movies. So we watched like The Matrix together. We watched uh, the whole trilogy and then we watched Kill Bill and stuff like that. But I remember The Matrix being, you know, the first time that I thought of science fiction as a genre. Like before, I kind of liked the elements and I, I recognized them, and, but I, I wasn't really conscious of it. And I think then when, you know, when my dad was kind of explaining all the metaphors of, of like, oh, this is like, this is kind of like a metaphor for how computers work and all that sort of stuff. That was the first time for me that I think I started thinking about it in terms of it being its own thing. I, love I don't that know. Story. Do you have I a cool story, story like that? Not as cool as yours, I think. Because yours has, <laughs> your, I mean, yours carries a lot of uh, like emotional weight to it. For me, this, uh, I guess, the the closest I can think of is my cousins, uh, really, uh, like, making me a big Star Wars fan as a kid. Uh, I lived, mm. I lived with my aunt and uh, her cousins for a while, and they were big Star Wars guys. And so we were, you know, watching the Phantom Menace. We were playing the Star Wars games on N sixty four. We had the uh, the pod racing game as well, and amazing. I, w- I was getting really into Star Wars for a while. I even like bought some of those lightsabers that were coming out at the time where they were the first ones that had like uh, sound effects with them and, and, and uh, would glow in the dark or whatever. Hell yeah. And it was so cool. And then as I got older, I had one of my, my cousins, Eric, he was uh, really into like underrated nineties movies. Um, mm. He's, he's the one I attribute to actually introducing me to Gattaca. Um, okay. Yeah. And ever since then, I've been kind of like spreading the the gospel of Gattaca around. And I don't know if you saw this on Letterboxd today, but Jackson Wells finally watched Gattaca last (laughs) night, gave it a four and a half review. Hugo, where are you at, buddy? (laughs) I know. It was on my list, but I I felt like uh, it it was, I knew this was going to be on your list or one of your honorable mentions. So I thought, well, I might as well let Christian roast me for not having seen it on the podcast and he can sell me on it. Yeah, we'll get And maybe we'll I'll watch there. it later. We'll get there. <laughs> I'm actually really looking forward to your list because I'm sure there's uh, something on there that I haven't seen yet or have been wanting to get to. Maybe. So maybe uh, not sure. it'll inspire me to watch a movie tonight. Hmm. Could be. We'll see. We'll see. Continuing on with the storyboards, I have, I guess we kind of covered, you know, what we liked about the genre of sci-fi as well a little bit. And I'm sure we'll touch on that more in the actual topic oh, yeah. of the show. But I have a, an interesting question here that um, I'm just curious about. Hugo, is there any director you would like to see take on a sci-fi project? Director? Ha. Well, it's it's a complicated question because I, I think the, the time that we live in now, a lot of big name directors do eventually end up doing some sci-fi stuff, but mm-hmm. it's usually with, like within a franchise. Um, so it, it, it's not necessarily what I would like from like, I don't know, an interesting indie director to just, I, I'm not always necessarily the biggest fan of them ending up doing a Marvel movie or, you know, a Star Wars. Right. I'd rather see them do something, you know, of their own like original ideas. Um, but I certainly think that I want to see, I would love to see something sort of a, a neo-noir futuristic thing by David Fincher. Um, 
I always thought his style could really work for us, kind of a cyberpunky dystopian movie. And and he's never really gone there. He's always kind of been sort of grounded in reality. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to see Edgar Wright go full sci-fi. I think that would be oh, absolutely you're amazing. Wright, then, and I think yeah. he would. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And okay, I think okay. he'd have. I think his sensibility could could make something extremely interesting in that in that genre. Um, but I don't know other directors because a lot of my favorite directors have worked in sci-fi to some extent or another. Right. Um, you know, there was that idea of a Star Trek written and directed by Tarantino, but I doubt that that's actually happening. That would be crazy, though. I will. Do you would have anyone in mind? I would absolutely watch it. Are you kidding me? Because it's oh, something, I would, he, it's something uh, yeah. he wants I would to pay do. For two you know? tickets. Yeah, two tickets. Yeah. <laughs> no, I yes. like. I like your uh, Fincher answer. That's something I hadn't thought about before. Uh, yeah. I think paired with a, like a great writer, he can make it. Yeah, an awesome mm -hmm. neo noir, something like yeah. kind of grounded detective story would be really cool by Fincher. Exactly. Um, something I, like it's sci-fi, but it's only like a little bit in the future i don't know if you've seen this movie strange days by Catherine bigelow um no but it's like this it's kind of this it's like a mid-90s movie and one of the first movies she made and it, it's basically a thriller but it has these small but really interesting sci-fi cyberpunk elements that make it like kind of elevate it beyond being just a thriller and i think fincher could do something really interesting like that my, I guess. What my, about you? Do you have yeah, any I'm, I'm, in mind? I'm thinking, um, because I, I asked this and I didn't have an answer in mind, which is hilarious. The, uh, cancel all sci-fi projects and just let Villeneuve do all of them. Is oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that's my joke answer. But I, I think Ryan Coogler is one of my favorite directors, and I think after seeing him, mm. uh, what he could do with Black Panther, I think telling um, just a very grounded story would be very interesting to see. In, in a sci-fi setting that is in a superhero film yeah and also i, I think sci-fi is one of the genres where the kind of the black experience is often kind of overlooked or not necessarily part of the storytelling they try to do absolutely and i feel like he could bring that element to to something into the sci-fi genre for sure yeah that's something uh that you notice in like some of the highest rated sci-fi movies, it's it's mostly all white men as protagonists. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. So it's, yeah, absolutely to your credit, telling uh, the you know, black experience or you know even an, an Asian experience or a Latino experience could yeah, be sure. could be super awesome. Yeah, Hugo, I want to thank you for joining me for our first ever the storyboards. Um, oh no. This is the wrong text. It doesn't matter. Let's see what's on the marquee with today's <laughs> topic of the show, ranking our favorite sci-fi films. Let me give you some context here for how this is going to go. Hugo and I have both prepared a, gosh, I wouldn't say definitive list, but it's a, a list of our favorite 10 films with yes. several honorable mentions that we, we can't help but like oh, mention. Because, yeah. God, there's so many great sci-fi movies. And I had, okay, to, <laughs> I had trouble last night. I was dreaming about my list. I always have kooky dreams uh, <laughs> with Jackson makes fun of me for. And literally, it was just like me in my dream just editing my list over and over and over again because 
I could rearrange these and I'd be happy with it. But what I think I have uh, is cool. And I've also might uh, subvert a few expectations here with what I have uh, my my top five. Hmm. Yeah. I'm interested. Um, I think, yeah, I think eight of my ten are were relatively easy for me to pick. But the last two, it it was tough because there was so many that I could have kind of swapped out for them and still had, had a list that I was satisfied with. Well, dude, I also forgot that we made ourselves a little rule on Twitter that we could only have yeah. uh, one entry per series in our top 10. So I was yes. like, hmm, okay, this changes my list and I had to rearrange some stuff last night. Yeah, same. As, as far as formatting for the sh- uh, for how this list is going to go, we're going to start, I think, at number 10, go back and forth. We'll probably start with you, Hugo. Yep. And then after okay. our number six, we're going to go into um, our honorable mentions before finalizing with our top five. Mm-hmm. And then just to confirm with you, if one of us mentions a movie that uh, is on the others list at a higher spot, how do we want to tackle that? Do you want we'll to just... wait? We'll wait. Okay. Okay. I think we should wait. Yeah. Let's discuss it whenever it's mentioned uh, the highest on the list. Perfect. Perfect. So we're giving it its due praise. Oh, boy. Without further ado, let's go, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Hugo, do you want to start us off with your number 10 pick? Okay. So my number 10 uh, is a Korean film by everyone's favorite director, Bong Joon-ho. Yes. And it's not Snowpiercer, but it's The Host. And you consider this sci-fi? It is sci-fi. Sci-fi, it's, it's, uh, I would say it's kind of on the edge of not being sci-fi, but I think the, the, the elements that it, it throws out there are definitely, no, definitely. sci-fi-ish. Um, yes, I, uh, it is, you know, it's a movie that uh, on first watch you could say is more of a kind of a horror uh, horror movie but it, there's so many elements in this film that i don't necessarily think you can categorize it as one thing i definitely think it does fit in the sci-fi genre because the premise is that there's this uh sort of evil american co- corporation doing some sort of weird research in in seoul in in korea in south korea and they basically drop some uh weird uh chemicals in the han river and this creates this sort of creature. And so, and this creature, it, and then it turns into sort of a kind of a horror movie. Uh, but at the same time, you have this element of uh, both Korean police and then the international community getting involved in the Han River being cut off and like quarantine zones being created. Um, so I can see how, you know, it, it, some people might not think it's necessarily a sci-fi film, but I think the premise is strong enough that you can consider it that and and then an, an early yeah i have and it's it's i think you know mm. a lot of environmentalism uh themes yes. in this similar to to okja fucking americans yeah. man i remember the beginning of the film the when he's dumping the the stuff the oh, chemicals yeah. into the sink it just felt like <laughs> provoking like it's supposed to enrage you which i think is the point yeah uh, the film is is very much about um i think the the main themes of the film the film are sort of cultural colonialism and the way sort of uncontrolled science but it, in an industrialized sense can can pose a threat to like the environment and it kind of takes 
uh, Seoul as a setting because because there was a history of uh, you know chemical waste be, being dropped into the Han River, um, and it kind of runs with that premise and makes a sci-fi story out of it. But yeah, the, I think the main metaphor is exactly what you you pointed out as um, environmentalism and the dangers of uncontrolled you know industrialism. Um, and I, I do want to mention that about I, I, f- I love yeah, yeah I love the way also this film kind of evades one specific genre because you mentioned it, it's it's yes. sort of horror but it isn't and it, again it, is, it does have sci-fi elements but it's also at the heart of the movie like a very emotional story about a, a father yeah. figure learning how to be a father mm-hmm. Bong Joon-ho and- what, what a director he's incredible I think his his talent at juggling different tones and kind of subverting your expectations in the sense of you're laughing and then a second later you're horrified at what you're seeing mm-hmm. and the way he does it in in almost all of his movies is is fantastic um this film specifically though I think it it, it has the most the widest gap of tonal shifts because it, it goes it, there are some scenes that are straight up like horror then the scene after is a, like this weird ridiculous absurdist comedy it's always over the top it's like even the way it's shot the 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 colors are, are so strange and feel almost surreal mm-hmm. um and I, I think it's just an amazing film I, I think it's it's definitely his most underrated film because uh, you know, the, I think his Memories of Murder is the other Korean film that I think gets more traction. Uh, That's the it, biggest. Together with uh, Parasite, obviously. Yeah. And, but I think this movie is really, really overlooked and one of his best, honestly. Memories of Murder is the biggest one from him that I haven't seen yet. It's still my oh, dude. I know, man. I know. It's so good. It's so good. And it's the same as this, that it's, I think what I absolutely love about him especially is just the sense of humor that he's able to put into these stories that are tragic stories about, you know, this is a a hard family drama with deaths and, and your whole city being taken over by the military and, you know, but at the same time, it it manages to have this kind of light uh, entertaining tone which in turn makes the drama and the horror even more horrific and dramatic. It's, I, I just love his movies, all of them. I should give this a rewatch. I'm looking at Letterboxd, and you gave it a four-and-a-half-star review. Yeah, I love this movie. Compared, yeah. compared to my three-star. Three-star? I, I know. I'm, I'm wondering if I, if I get, you know, score this too low. I think you did. I think you did, for sure. Um, I think... It, it's a movie that it on a first watch it can seem a little naff um a little like even stupid like the, the way the the actual monster in the film looks is you, you can tell it this film didn't have didn't have the biggest budget for special effects but um it, i think it on a first watch it can seem a little jarring and weird but I think once you watch it again, going into it with this idea of, of like this idea of just big corporations uh, polluting the environment and and going into another country and doing whatever they want and that kind of metaphor in your mind, it makes the film more impactful. Credit to Bong Joon Bong Joon Ho as well because I didn't care that the monster looked, um, you know, like you yeah. said, it, it didn't have the biggest budget, so it looks off. It looks you know 
you could tell it's CGI. It's a bit wonky. Sure. But yeah. What makes this film so horrifying is that uh, the way he's able to get uh, the reactions out of his actors, and not just the main yeah. actors, but also you know stand-ins and extras in in, in the crowd. The tone is yeah. tremendous. Yeah, he, he's this. I want. I want. I want more movies from this man. Can't wait to see what he does next. Oh, we'll get them. We'll get them. Mm-hmm. My number ten pick uh, is a film that we have the same review. Four stars by Alex Garland, 2014's Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Mm, great film. I have it in my honorable mentions. Okay, perfect. Yeah, Ex Machina for me was um i think it came out when i was yeah in undergrad in college and this is when i first started like really appreciating the aesthetics of sci-fi as an adult watching this film mm. uh with a few of my buddies uh like i had the the quintessential movie experience where we come out of the theater and we go get some food and we start talking about i guess the humanity in the film um mm-hmm. specifically with uh Alicia Vikander's character uh and sort of kind of trying to digest um, and expound on the philosophical themes that this movie explores. Um, I think this is one of the earliest ones I can remember watching that I really appreciated uh, to be like an elevated film, right? Not just a movie, but a film, as people like to say. Yes. And the way it explores uh, AI, whether it's alive or, or not, right? It's, it's an exploration of the Turing test done on like such a cool level. And the way it uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh, reads that in a dark light as compared to another film that we'll talk about later, I thought was extremely fascinating. And I just love it. I love Alex Garland. He's fantastic. Alex Garland is one of those directors that I think um, should have double the budgets that they give him. And I hope that he can kind of break out of the kind of independent scene and kind of uh, start because I think his ideas are sometimes larger than what he's actually able to do on screen <clears throat> just because there's a limitation of 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 money and of the scope that I think the budget that he he's been able to get allow him to get through um because I think in general with his movies I think the premises and sort of the first two acts are always the best parts and then yes. the f- the third act kind of not necessarily lose you, but are certainly not as intriguing and interesting as the first two. I don't know if you agree. I can see that because I, I think as we're get- getting to the climax, things go kind of wonky a few times. And th- I, I'm saying this because I don't want to yeah. spoil Ex Machina and I don't want to bring up another movie that I'm thinking about right now. Uh, but I think mm. th- what he his best writing is probably with the TV series Devs. I don't know. I, don't I haven't it, seen it actually. I really want to watch it. One of the best. Shows I know it's you, not uh, available. Yeah. It's not available here yet anywhere. So. Oh no! I thought it would be. I watched it on yeah. Hulu. Yeah. So when you said you had Hulu, I thought yeah. maybe okay. We we don't have Hulu. Hulu. So I guess it it could potentially come to Disney Plus. But <laughs> listen, as weird as that sounds, I won't condone torrenting. But if you can find it, <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It, it's, it's I guess I can get a VPN, wink, wink. <laughs> I do. I do actually. I do have a, a VPN, ExpressVPN, baby. <laughs> Let's watch that content. <laughs> Hell yeah! Okay. What about what about your number nine? Talk to me. Okay, my 
Number nine is another movie that, that you could make an argument is uh, uh, like only kind of uh, a sci-fi film, but it's Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, great choice. Yes. So to me, this is the kind of the ultimate post-apocalyptic world. And it's one of the best because uh, uh, explorations of what uh, of just what would happen to the few people who are left in humanity once humanity has annihilated itself. I think this film is so good at exploring that concept while also at the same time being just the most badass action film it could possibly be. Um, and I think I really, I really, really appreciate from this film the just the minimalist style of the storytelling and the way that it it has so many like heady, kind of heady and heavy concepts and themes, but very little of them is actually explored in the dialogue. Like there's there's clear themes of like misogyny and feminism and again the environment and how you know how a stronger power can control resources that would be available to everyone but because they have the control of them they are in power and they keep the people subjugated um and again this concept of what what would be left of our society if you know there was some sort of nuclear holocaust or something like Mm -hmm. that because of course the, the film doesn't exactly explain what happened and there's this repeated line of who killed the world that i think just the question in the film, it tells you more than any answer that they could give you in like a prequel or a big flashback. Credit to George. So yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, credit to George Miller for bringing back Mad Max in almost like a sub- sublime way. Like if you didn't, oh, if yes. you didn't get the chance to watch this movie in theaters, it's a huge bummer because aesthetically alone, yeah. the shots. Oh yeah, beautiful. This is. This is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. It's the kind of film that you can watch without the dialogue and have an amazing experience. I'm thinking about getting a 4K player just so that I can buy a few mm. 4K movies to have on disc. Um, yeah. And this, I think... Should have got would... that physical PS5, man. <sighs> you always give me... <laughs> Every episode, you're going to give me shit for that, huh? Hell yeah! <laughs> but th- th- this Fury Road has to be one of them that I, that I pick up because oh yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. It, I think, um, I don't know if you know this. There's this film critic. He's called. He's British. He's called Mark Commode, and he he's been a film critic for at this point like forty years. And he does this YouTube show where he reviews every movie that he writes about. He also does a video review. Hmm. It's kind of a, like a BBC radio show. And he said about this film that to him this is just pure action cinema because it's completely visual yeah like all of the action storytelling is visual all of the stunts are on screen it what you're seeing is what they filmed and the kind of special effects that they use only enhance what is already there they never just do some big dumb cgi thing that and the fact that they were able to do this film completely in camera uh, and all the stunts that they do and all the crazy car, car foo, car stunts is just incredible. Car foo. 
I love the videos that yeah. pop up on Twitter as well. That's that's why I see most of the behind the scenes footage for this movie is whenever mm. whenever it comes on on Twitter, and I highly recommend seeing it because it's it's incredible what they managed to pull off. I don't know how they did it. It's yeah. insane. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's also like you know we talk about it. It's kind of this sublime piece of cinema, and at the same time, it's a movie where there's a, a dude with like a playing metal electric guitar that that shoots fire when he doesn't note. But it fucking like, works. That, it works. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so good. I love that both your It's so good. Your 9 and 10 picks like have very much environmentalism um, as its themes present. Oh yeah. Because oh, my yeah. my number 9 pick. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please. I think yeah, I think you know, sci-fi is at its best when it's about something and it's mm. generally when it's trying to tackle the consequences of what current human behavior is absolutely um, so of course environmentalism is is a big part of it i agree i should find there's a short film that i watched um i think made in south south africa that was really good it, mm. it's about 20 minutes long and, and it's um very much eco-critical i should send your way it's it's online i'll have to look for it i can't remember the title but it was very interesting you, you might enjoy it. Is it, it one of those movies based, made by Neil Domkamp? No. Because he made a couple of short films. No, but I love that man. Okay. I can't wait for District well, 10 still. or whatever it's going to be called. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> District 10. It's I don't like know. Fallout 77. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, keeping with the eco critical lens, my number nine pick is Pixar's Wally, 2008. Ah. Oh. Oh, what a movie. Are, are you kidding me? This is fantastic. And I think this is one of the movies that I think kind of shaped my current obsession with sci-fi. Because I wasn't, mm. ex- I wasn't expecting Pixar to make something as beautiful um, as, as they did. Usually, I think it's, it's one of their most unique films. I think maybe sure. now, like you could argue, Soul is up there at Inside Out. Because they're, they're getting, the, the themes they're exploring there with that, with that setting is probably more unique than you know space but at at the time in 2008 i thought this was like insane this was this was my 2001 was a space odyssey so unexpected oh yeah oh yeah and also intentionally because like there's so many little easter eggs in yeah. this film that make it even better like i'm trying to think how old i was in 2008 uh quick math man yeah i yeah i wasn't too i guess i was older than i thought but I was like 13. I was 12 years old. I was okay. I was like 13 or 14. Yeah. But I felt, I felt like a kid, but it also has a lot of themes about consumerism that I think are even poignant even today. Um, and then the way it concerns itself with its, uh, non-human constituents, I think some of the most human elements present in this film come from, of course, Wally and from Eve. Um, and I would argue that this is Pixar, uh, Oh God! I, I can't believe this. What? Sorry, I, I cut out again for a second. Oh no! Sorry. No, you're yeah, fine. Start again. Start again. Yeah. What did I say? Cool. Okay, I will say. Maybe you might have missed it. I think the the I missed one sentence. The non-human constituents. I think. Mm. Um, I can't remember how I phrased it. The the most human <laughs> elements of this film come from our non-human constituents, which is Wally and of course yes. Eve. And I would argue that this Pixar is at its most, like almost Miyazaki esque with Wally. 
I yes, I can see that because uh, of course, especially uh, obviously environmentalism very much a Miyazaki theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, the man, the man only wants to pick up his trash and and fix the world. Um, <laughs> we I love that man, and I yeah, yeah this film I think has the most. I think it has the best first twenty five to thirty minutes in any Pixar film where it's almost a silent film. Like there's no dialogue. It's just Wally going about his day. And then this spaceship, this beautiful, like shiny spaceship shows up and, and, and Eva finds the plant. And then the story goes from there. That opening minute, 30 minutes is just like taking. Absolutely. And I think Great it's pick. The, the visuals still hold up. I think now. Yes, they do. Cause 13 years later, it, especially cause it's all kind of robots mostly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think Pixar made conscious choices not to animate uh, humans too much until they were fully able to do it. Yeah, I agree. Great movie. Great movie. Let's move on to number eight. Number eight. So my number eight is Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men. Which you will not get to talk which... about. I won't. No, Amazing. I'm a, glad about a, that, yeah. actually. So <laughs> it's higher. I, on I my thought list. it was really funny. It was uh, uh, that's completely fair. Like from from on, uh, as I said, I think all my top eight were movies that I almost instantly had in mind, and I honestly I could like flip them and still be happy with my list. So the order is is tentatively ranked. My my top five are the ones that instantly come to mind. It's where we like six through fifteen that. Um... It's a bit. It was harder. Great. Yeah, it was harder. I think to yeah. yeah to include. Okay, so maybe I won't even get to talk about my number eight with Stanley Kubrick's okay. 2001: A Space Odyssey. You will not get to talk about <laughs> it. So let's move to number seven. Okay, your number. And seven. maybe maybe oh let me let me say this because I don't think I'm gonna get to talk about my number seven because it's Arrival. <laughs> okay, then no, <laughs> you will not. <laughs> Amazing. This this works. Okay. okay. My number seven is a film that you have not seen. Are you ready? Mm. Can you guess yeah. what it is? Gattaca. 1997's Gattaca, baby. Starring Ethan <laughs> Hawke, Jude Law, and Uma Thurman. What? Jude Law's in this? Hell Jude, yeah. Yeah, Jude Law's in this. Amazing. You know, I, I was scared Ethan... Or not Ethan. Uh, Jackson was not going to like this, to be honest. Why? I ha- I hadn't seen it in four or five years or so yeah just quite mm. a few so i was like i'm scared this won't doesn't hold up as as well as it did in my memory um mm. but I'm, I'm glad to see it mostly does um without spoiling it uh this movie has like the quintessential late 90s sci-fi vibes in spades baby the set design is so like stereotypical to what uh, a 90s <laughs> sci-fi movie looks like but it works. <laughs> I can picture it. Yeah, no, but but it works because it's concerning itself. Oh, with, it does. with uh, the human element of uh, of Ethan Hawke, right? Um, his obs- mm. his obsession with exploration, I think, goes such a long way for me. It's it's literally inspiring. Um, and then I I have to give credit to that score. I have a I have a list of or uh, sorry a playlist of my favorite OSTs that I'll put on mm. when I'm like writing or reading sometimes. And uh, Gattaca's theme. Um, is on right there. Up there yeah and so without spoiling it hugo um i'll talk about the way this movie made me feel but give me 
without spoiling, but give me the premise of the film because I honestly only know about this that it stars Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. I don't, I really don't know anything about this. For some reason, it kind of, I kind of missed it. Yeah, so it's a movie basically about eugenics. Society is obsessed mm. with um, DNA and only, uh, I guess, the manufacturing the strongest uh, humans that they can. So it's it's GMOs, uh, GMO humans, basically. Um, mm. Ethan, Ethan Hawke uh, is not. And Ethan Hawke is obsessed with, with space um, and more specifically space exploration. So it's his journey to try and become an astronaut through the infiltration of the Gattaca space program. And okay, this sounds really cool. <laughs> it's it's awesome, man. And I, I don't I don't want to spoil anything more than that. I think that's perfectly fine for uh setting you up for what to expect from the movie. And when it ends, I I'll talk about the way it made me feel. I'm sitting there and it's it's the movie ends, it's silent. It's black. I'm in my room. There's no light. And I'm left aching for a sense of purpose, uh, conviction, trying to understand my own futurity, trying to understand uh, his futurity. I just wanted another five seconds of this movie just to let that feeling resonate a oh. bit longer. And I'm, I like having like an emotional collapse and it's beautiful and I love it. And it really hit me hard. And I sat there really not knowing what to do with myself. And it was fantastic for it. I love it. Damn. Like, I have to watch this. I have to watch this. It's good. It's cool. That's all I'll say. It it sounds great. Like, I, I really don't know why I missed it. It just must have been one of those things that, that, that happens. A lot of people have, and it's it's an yeah. Twitter circle, so I'm glad it's every now and then it comes up in conversation. It's a good movie, so yeah, cool. Let me know when you, what you think of it whenever you watch it. Oh yeah, I might watch it later. So awesome! If I do watch it, I'll, I'll absolutely let you know. Okay. Number six. So that was your number seven. So my number six is Christopher Nolan's Inception. Oh, solid choice. Yeah. Where do you have it? Do, do you not have it on your list? No, it's not. Huh. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so we can talk about it then. Yeah, um, yeah. Inception is... Um, I wa- It came out in 2010, of course. Mm-hmm. And I was right at that ripe age of 14 where I kind of started becoming interested in films um, beyond sort of their entertainment value it was the first it was the first few years that i was kind of uh yeah becoming interested in themes and and how movies made me feel rather than just like oh this is like badass action and it's fun and that sort of basic you know child yeah. uh, entertainment stuff and inception for me you know it I-, I think this movie has become been so overhyped that it's actually become underrated I, I don't know I, if you know yeah. what I mean. Uh, I mean, I think it's rated, but I I know exactly what you mean. I, I agree because I I think a lot of a lot of Christopher Nolan fans are extremely overzealous, and I think there's there's a sud- certain subset of kind of movie fans that kind of uh, have Christopher Nolan as this god on earth that only makes absolute masterpieces, best director of all time, and I think. 
this movie specifically, it, it kind of doesn't get its, its due sometimes because of it. Okay, let, let me stop um, you for a second. So let me, yeah. my understanding is that, let's say I bring up the film, like, oh, I love Inception. Yeah. General consensus is that, oh, what a what a uh, classic pick, an, a Nolan film, like his most, one of his most popular, like, oh, like, yeah, there's more interesting films out there. And for that, it's underrated and that it just isn't brought up in conversation anymore as like a great film. Maybe mm. am I no, getting I, close? To I what think, you? I think what uh, I think a lot of people just focus on what's not so good about the film. Like I, I hear a lot of criticism of like, oh, yeah, the film is, you know, there is a lot of exposition in the film. It 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 kind of does go on a slight bit too long. Like that final bit action, big action set piece piece in the snow. Not to spoil the film, but I mean, at, at this point, if you haven't Who seen, hasn't seen it, you've been living. Um. You know, that big final action scene in the snow isn't the best one in the movie. It feels like it goes on a slight bit too long. And then, you know, some people say, oh, it's just a ripoff of Satoshi Kon's Paprika, which is like an anime film that so very good. much has a similar great film. Great film has a very similar premise. But again, I think this is Nolan's masterpiece. I think it's the film where his very heady ideas and both in terms of story and in terms of film structure, because I think he he's so out there in terms of how he structures his movies and how he plays with time and flashbacks and what's what's the presence, what's what's a dream and that sort of stuff that he kind of sometimes can get in his own way and lose a bit of the emotional foundation of the film. Looking at you, but Tenet. I think this looking at you, Tenet for sure. Um, but I think this one specifically has a very, very strong emotional foundation with mm -hmm. with Cobb and Mal Mal's story. And the more you found out find out about them, the more you be, you get invested in their story. And the big reveal at the end is just heartbreaking for me. And a lot of it is in the performance because obviously Leo DiCaprio and Marion Cotillard are just fucking amazing in this film. And I think that. That sort of grounding, that that, emo that sort of uh, emotional attachment that you have to their relationship, allows you to sit through all of the complex like explanations of how this very heady concept actually works, and make it entertaining because you're invested in all of this because you want to know what it means for Cobb and what it means for Mal, and the concept itself is so inventive. And the way that he is able to put it to screen with all these just absolutely dazzling action sequences that warp reality. But because you know that they were actually done in camera, it, it makes it even more impressive. Um, like, you know, I'm sure you've seen the, the, the you know, the behind the scenes where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is on of wire course, and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's just incredible what he does in this film. And it has perhaps one of the best final shots of all time. Yeah. And I know that at this point, it's, you know, it's something that is so, so much in the public consciousness that you kind of overlook it a little bit because it's just something everybody knows about. But the fact that everybody knows about this, considering it's like a very heady, complex sci-fi film and it, it broke through in the mainstream is really impressive. And yeah, that ending, still one of the best endings of all time for me. And yeah, absolutely genius film I, I think this probably put nolan more on the map than even the dark knight and and people love the dark Knight. yes but i think this is the one that really got him into like mainstream uh, audiences mm -hmm. more so um 
I think this certainly established him as a name. I think the yeah. Dark Knight still has that Batman um, fan base that is kind of built into the movie. Also, credit to Christopher because I, I think the kind of the the film discourse uh, is that his best movies are when he's riding with his brother Jonathan Nolan. Mm. Uh, this is one that Christopher Nolan wrote on his own, um, and it's probably I, I'm not even lying. Like one of his best written films. Yeah, it's so good. The the right, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. It I I don't understand why people think it's confusing. I thought it's pretty no, pretty pretty easy I, to follow. I don't think I, I think the main criticism that I see of this is that there's a lot of exposition, and there is. The, yeah, sure. But but how else are you going to do this this concept? Like, if there wasn't exposition, this would could not be a mainstream success. Yep. You know, Absolutely. Could Absolutely. it potentially be? Could it potentially be a an even better film? Maybe, but then it, you might not have seen it because it would be such a out there weird concept that it would be like Paprika, which you know is a film that f- m- way fewer people have seen than Inception. And everyone should go watch Paprika because it's insane. Paprika, absolutely, yeah, you should watch it yeah. for sure. And we'll we'll get into more of this, um, but I, I do want to mention that Nolan is. For sure, one of the one of the spearheads of where I think Hollywood is going because I I or where where I wish it was going. I love original I so. original ideas, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's usually Nolan who's doing something that like I can't wait to see because it's entirely unique and it's not a sequel, it's not a remake of an old movie from the '90s. He's doing something trying to push storytelling forward, and I can appreciate yeah. that uh, so much as a film viewer and a film enthusiast. Absolutely, I love it and. Yeah, my my favorite type of film is what I like to call sort of the auteur blockbuster. So the big budget movie that has a strong artistic uh, voice behind it. And yeah, right now, him, Villeneuve and, you know, Tarantino to another extent, Fincher. These are the people who are doing it. Absolutely. My number six pick is one I don't think it was expected by people, especially when I was streaming. Uh, because usually when I think of sci-fi, I'm thinking dystopian. I'm thinking an action, like an actiony or some kind of grounded story, uh, mm-hmm. something very futuristic, deals with um, eco criticism in some way. Uh, but sometimes you need something a bit more warm, a bit more beautiful, uh, and a bit more loving. With 2013's Her, directed by Spike Jones. Oh yes, I adore this movie. And again, this is another one that I watch with friends in a theater. The theater experience was fantastic. There's a, a specific scene in this movie. Um, it's a, a romance scene, it's a sex scene, but you aren't yeah. show, <laughs> you aren't shown anything. It's the, the screen goes black. It's left to your imagination. Yeah. And watching that in a theater was both uncomfortable, but also like provoking. Um, yeah, that I found like really fascinating. Uh, Again, sci-fi done on a warm, interpersonal scale. I think this is probably Scarlett Johansson's best role. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. For real, for real, I actually think this is her at her best. And she's like... She's barely... In, she's Yeah, she's obviously just a voice. But her voice performance in this is yes. absolutely incredible. Um, but also, the wardrobe and the set design. Oh, yeah. It's not anything you see in sci-fi. Usually, it's more the more outlandish stuff. Some of the more cyberpunky that you know. I'm thinking like tech wear, even. 
but this feels very real and it's something that's even happening now with with style that you know a lot of retro clothes are uh, mm-hmm. almost coming back in, into in vogue right now um so to see that displayed in a film like this was awesome i think what's what's brilliant about just the design is that it feels completely otherworldly while not being high tech so it it kind of give you the same feeling that a lot of sci-fi gives you that you're mm. in inserted into a world that is not your own but at the same time it you know it it could be just our world it's just we don't use those colors in that way hey. so it kind of gives you this kind of dreamlike feel like you're into a different yeah. world but at the same time it's kind of jarring because it's like oh yeah but it's just a shirt it's just that it's a particular color of shirt that you don't really see very often and it's the way that I can't really nail a time. I don't know of like how far in the yeah. future or if it's supposed it to be, be contemporary. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I love watching videos of the way they constructed the uh, the skyline. They juxtaposed um, or I guess overimposed skylines from different like major metropolitan metropolitan cities like San Francisco and Tokyo to make it feel mm. like it's a real place, even though it's an amalgamation of different cities, which I thought was really interesting. And again, this is this, this is a film that like isn't really all that cynical. It it it's meditating sure on like AI and the human experience mm-hmm. with technology, but it almost feels like utopian in a way. It almost feels like uh, it's I don't know. It's it's hard to talk about this without Spoiling. fully going to spoilers, yeah. but it's you know, there are elements that are very classically uh, AI sci-fi. Uh, with you know obviously ai can be in a lot of sci-fi movie is an antagonist but the way this one deals with it is completely non-conflictual there's no there's no battle there's no war and if there are conflicts they're all intellectual conflicts and yeah i think that it's it's extremely unique and and amazing in that sense my last note on her is that uh the score done by arcade fire is beautiful. And that's yes, it. just aste- aesthetically, or everything about this film is fantastic. Yeah, music, uh, the, you know, everything, even the sound design. It's so, cool. It's so good. Everyone should watch her. Yeah. So we've done our six through ten. So let's take a brief intermission with our honorable mentions. And Hugo, you have an interesting way of how you did your honorable mentions today, correct? Yeah. Yes. Let's hear this. Um, I want to hear how you did it. Because, so, my, it was, I love sci-fi. I really love sci-fi. I have a list of of my favorite sci-fi films. I have a list on Letterboxd and where I, my conscious idea was, I'm just going to put the movies that I really like. There's 93 movies on this list. Oh my God. I, <laughs> so, I forced myself to do like 20 max. Yeah. So, I, obviously, I'm not going to do that, but in... By to do my honorable mentions, I decided to kind of create some different categories of stuff that I like, and it would help me in mentioning some specific movies that I think everyone who's a sci fi fan should watch. Sure. So I have my okay, my first category is uh, other movies in series that we're going to mention in in the, the main list, but I think those will come up naturally, so I won't just delve into that. We'll get to them later but um what should we do should we do 
you say a couple, I say a category, I say, you say a couple, that sort of thing. I think it'll be more like I say one and you say a couple. Because okay. I limited myself to seven for the show. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So do you want to start? Sure. Uh, my honorable mention, uh, one of my honorable mentions here is uh, 2012's uh, Dread. Directed by Pete Travis, but not really. I think Alex Garland actually took over. Um, you think? Yeah, I think that's the that's the consensus, right? That yeah. from all the scuttlebutt around is that he really Pete Travis really didn't direct it. He, I think right. Garland took over. Dread, very underrated sci-fi, so good. Carl yeah. Urban, please watch it. Yeah, great movie. Okay, so I guess I'll just go by my categories. Uh, my first category that I have is just Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you have it, ET on there. He didn't. What? Sorry. No, no. Absolutely. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, he didn't. None of his movies made my list, but it, it, I was, it, I was really hard pressed to not put like more than one of them on the list. So I thought I'll just mention it in honorable mentions. My favorite sci-fi film by Spielberg is actually Minority Report. Yes, which is kind of a, a weird opinion because I think a lot of people gravitate more, or kind of mention more Close Encounters or ET, or you know even Jurassic Park to some extent if you want to consider that sci-fi. Um, but I think Minority Report is actually one of the one of his best movies that I think is very overlooked by a lot of people. You know, another Philip K. Dick story in the same way of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great, great movie. And Have you seen it? Then Tom Cruise, underrated. Yeah, great, great movie. So yeah, my Spielberg category is basically Minority Report, Jurassic Park, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And also, don't completely overlook A.I., yeah, the film that was developed by Stanley tears. Kubrick, but yeah, and he unfortunately, you know, died uh, before he was able to actually make the film, and so Spielberg took over the project. So it, it is a bit disjointed, and and it doesn't always work, but there are some great ideas in there. Absolutely, yeah. So your turn. <laughs> yeah, another. I think this is a. <laughs> it won't be everyone's favorite, but aesthetically, and on a score level, set design. Tron Legacy is one of the coolest uh, sci-fi movies of, of recent uh, decades. Ah. I, I absolutely love Tron Legacy. It's just it's just fun. It's it's cool. It's fun. That's all I wanted, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, uh, we're doing a 2010s Oscars uh, episode on on film to uh, remember the film soon, and uh, Tron Legacy is one of the thing one of the films that I think was snubbed for some of the technical categories because that film sure. looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. Cool movie, cool movie, fun movie. Okay, um, so my next category is animated sci-fi. So a bunch of great, great animated uh, sci-fi films. Uh, my favorite of which, if I had to narrow it down to one, would be Ghost in the Shell. Uh, obviously, Mamoru Oshii's masterpiece that uh, kind of was one of the major influences of a lot of uh, cyberpunk that would come later. and. Even a lot of video games, if you if you know the Metal Gear Solid series and watch Ghost in the Shell, you'll recognize a lot of uh, just aesthetics, but also like thematic elements. Um, other movies in this category, obviously you mentioned Wally, fantastic film. Uh, Paprika, we already mentioned. Uh, Narsica and the Valley of the Wind. Yes. Uh, and another movie that's, you know, skirting the line between fantasy and sci-fi, but I think is squarely in sci-fi. Which, which by the way, I, I, I use Narsica for my uh, master's. Uh, like thesis, yeah, because it was yeah. eco eco terrorism, right? Eco criticism, yeah, 
Eco-criticism, sorry. Terrorism. I don't know where that Eco-terrorism. came from. Eco-terrorism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant film. Um, but of course, you know, The Iron Giant we mentioned. And of course, we have to mention uh, The End of Evangelion. Ah, oh, why, man? <laughs> we, it, it's just the curse. We have to. Sorry. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> fucking, fucking Evangelion, man. You love it and you hate it. You can't help <laughs> yeah. it, yeah. Uh, yeah. You mentioned it, but also Brad Bird, uh, The Iron Giant, uh, one of the yeah. earliest films that got me into science fiction that I didn't know was science fiction at the time, but now, of course, it is. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, beautiful film. Beautiful film, yeah. Back to you. What have you got? Iron Giant. Yeah, that was my honor mention. Oh, it was that one. Oh, great. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> so I, I nailed it. Yes. I nailed it. Uh, give me another one because my categories are running okay. running low. My other uh, honorable mention is one that you haven't seen yet, uh, which is uh, Aniara, twenty eighteen. Aniara, Aniara, yeah, yeah. amazing. I film. added it to my list. Yes, dude, it, because of your podcast. So yeah, it's it's extremely psychological, which I think you'll love. Um, a little bit of horror element in it. Fantastic mm-hmm. film that yeah, a lot of people should. Not many people watched it, and you should. Absolutely. Okay, so. Now we get into, I think one of the, the one of the categories that I think was the most important for my overall honorable mentions because I, I kind of forced myself to not put movies out of this category in on my actual list because I, I wanted my list to be my favorites, but I also made a category that is sort of essential classics of sci-fi that you you should watch. Right. So for this one. I would mention films like Tarkovsky's Stalker and no, Solaris. No, no, should watch it. Go read Roadside yeah, Picnic should. instead. They're great, great movies. <laughs> they can get a little up their own ass and uh, slightly boring because they're quite long. But if, you, if you're willing to indulge into a lot of philosophical musings and watch some pretty visuals for three hours, I think they're worth your time. Mm-hmm. I think... Sci-fi fans should watch these, even if they end up not actually liking them. Right. You think that's fair? To an extent, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Other classics, um, I think some more obvious, like The Terminator. Sci-fi classics, everyone should watch that movie. T2, Uh, specifically. I actually prefer The Terminator, the first one. Yeah, Um, fuck you. Because I... (laughs) Because here's my my reasons. I think... um, all of the everything that's interesting about Terminator, not everything that's cool, because obviously Terminator Two, bigger budget, amazing action, like as an action movie, it's much better. Right. But in terms of just the concept, uh, everything that's good about Terminator as a series is in already in Terminator One, and so I think I give credit to this movie for coming up with all those uh, ideas. That's fair. That's valid. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. Other just to quickly say other ones, Star Trek series. Uh Star Trek is at its best on television, but there's quite a few good movies. I think specifically um uh, obviously Star Trek Two, Wrath of Khan is the one that people uh, like the most. Uh The Thing, another great sci-fi oh, horror yeah. film. Uh Brazil from Terry Gilliam. If you haven't seen that one, it's kind of a cyberpunk film and uh, not sure if you've seen it, but if you haven't, you should absolutely watch it because it's a really, really funny take on cyberpunk. And and uh, the last one is Back to the Future. Fun adventure movie, but... Classic. Sci-fi. Oh, yes. yeah. Got to mention it. Got to mention it. 
Fun fact, Marty McFly travels uh, on my birthday, October 26th. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I guess also the, the date of the PS2 launch in America. So, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. My next honor- My birthday is the same day as, no, two days before David Lynch. Oh, my and Hugo. He was born... <laughs> He was born in 46, and I was born in 96. So there you go. You guys are practically related. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. My next pick is in the same vein as, as Gattaca, uh, but not as good. as This is Robert Zemeckis' Contact, mm. uh, 1997 film. I, I, I love it. I think uh, Jodie Foster is incredible. The first, yes. I think, hour, hour and a half or something like that, like, most amazing i would say the first two hours sure yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic the final final act is where it starts to get a little bit messy and Mm -hmm. that's okay yeah i think that's that's something that happens with a lot of sci-fi because it it, the cons the initial concepts are often the strongest suit of the film but then actually delivering on those concepts is is quite difficult yeah so yeah great movie do you want to give me another one sure uh, I have two more picks. I don't know if that yeah. has any factor. Uh, you give me one, then I have my last category. You give me the last one. Okay. It works. Yeah. My next film is another Alex Garland project. I made, uh, I think if I had to choose one, of course, to make the list was it was Ex Machina. So mm-hmm. the honorable mention here is uh, Annihilation. 2018's Annihilation with Natalie Portman, uh, based on the book by Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, fantastic. I, I don't want... I don't think that this movie got a lot of people, a lot of eyes when it came out, so I won't spoil yeah. it. Yeah, go watch it; it's good. It's yeah, it, it's unfortunate what happened with that movie because I think there was a lot of uh, the studio didn't really believe in it, mm-hmm. and in Europe specifically, they sold it off to Netflix and never came out in theaters over here. We just watched it on Netflix. Wow, and the theater yeah, experience yeah. was so good, man exactly and i can tell and i remember watching it on netflix and thinking this was made for a cinema and it's such a shame that i have to watch it on a small screen are you are you thinking about those it is what it is those final oh yeah yeah those scenes but even even just a lot of the visuals and And a lot of the creepy close-ups they're just they would be so much more effective on on a big screen oh so good yeah great movie great movie okay so my last category is uh sort of other it's another essentials category but it's a more modern essentials so movies that came out this century i would say um of these i think the ones that uh, a few we've already mentioned like ex machina annihilation we've already mentioned uh i'm sure interstellar will be on your list so i don't have to talk about that what no Um, uh it, it's on my honorable mentions i i think that movie is is yeah. uh, again another film that is actually underrated when you actually think about it um but i think the the biggest one for me on this list that it was very hard for me to not to have on my main list is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind mm. which Perfect. i think is a fantastic little film um yeah. so yeah but other ones you know uh looper from Ryan Johnson, fantastic time travel movie. Uh, Moon, if you haven't seen Moon, Ooh, great Duncan little Jones. film. Yeah, fantastic little film. Uh, District Nine, we've already mentioned, and just okay, just to be consistent with myself, Cloud Atlas. Ah, Wachowski's Cloud Atlas. It gets the worse. Movie that is, gets worse with every viewing. 
the movie that is absolutely insane, completely out there, sometimes incomprehensible, and also one of the most interesting, beautiful films you'll ever watch. It's fucking crazy. Do you want to hear about the true true? <laughs> yes. It's wild. <laughs> but oh, I love man. it. My, okay, your final honorable mention. My final honorable mention, and this is only because we were limited to one film entry in the series, which will give away one of my picks, uh, is 1982's Blade Runner by Ridley Scott. Which fuck yeah! Uh, I mean, come on, it, it's Blade Runner. What what more is there yeah. to say? It's a fucking phenomenal film. Blade Runner is one of the films that would have that makes my actual top ten if I'm not having the rule of yes. only one series absolutely I, I agree so yeah so that that also goes for other movies that i will mention when we get to them so yeah that's Let's it get back into the list I okay guess. so that was the, okay that was the end of your own mentions as well okay yeah so that would put us at number five why don't you start us off my number five is ridley scott's alien which by the way twitter discourse sci-fi can be set or horror movies can be set in space course they can right yeah absolutely i don't i don't yeah. get, i don't get why I, there was just one blue check mark who was like no yeah, yeah whatever doesn't matter it, if it's sci-fi it's not actually horror yeah yes it can be uh, sci-fi <laughs> is just one genre it can mix with others exactly um alien um a lot of people prefer aliens which would be one of my honorable mentions um but i again the same thing with terminator i think all the concepts that make the Alien series yeah. an interesting premise. Obviously, the series is, has a lot of ups and downs as you go through all of them, but the first two are absolutely fantastic. And Alien, specifically the first one, I think is a, is one of the films that I would consider for what it's trying to do essentially perfect. I think the way it builds tension in the first half hour to 40 minutes where nothing so really happens is absolutely fantastic the the whole time that he you know john hurt oh by the way the cast in this film is fucking insane because you got john hurt ian home you got sigourney weaver you got you know a, a bunch of fantastic actors um you have that scene where john hurt is just lying down with a face hugger on his face and then the face hugger at one point leaves and everything seems to be fine. And then you get the dinner scene and the, the actual horror movie actually starts. That film, uh, it, just structurally, it's amazing. I think it, it's, it's another example of Ridley Scott and how great he is, or at least was at the time, at world building. And how this film subtly adds some elements of this big corporation that's kind of overseeing what's actually happening in the film. And the fact that the, the, the Nostromo, the ship is kind of, it's just a commercial ship. They're not like soldiers or experts or anything. It's just kind of a commercial ship. And these are regular people who just happen to be in space working for this corporation. And, you know, the, the, the gender politics of the film itself, the fact that it made Sigourney Weaver, one of the most iconic characters of all time. And oh, yeah. The film, She's in Fortnite. You know, this is, yeah, yeah, she is in Fortnite. Um, the, <laughs> the film, I don't know if you know this, was the script was written, every name is a surname, and it was written without gender in mind. 
So oh, I did not know that. It was written in a way that it it every character could be either a woman or a man, and it wouldn't matter. And the idea was this is a future where the the same concepts of gender differences that we have, and specifically they had in 1979, don't actually exist. And it's just happened to be that Ripley was a woman because they decided to cast Sigourney Weaver because she was the best for the role. But they didn't, all of the casting, they they didn't necessarily already have a man or a woman in mind. I love that. And obviously they chose a woman. And yeah, she became one of the great female action heroes, I guess, out of this movie. Um, and yeah, I won't spoil stuff, but everything with the company and the way... AI is inserted into the film is what makes it, it elevates it beyond being just a great, very tense uh, horror monster movie. You, you, also, that final scene is fucking incredible. Oh, yeah. Uh, you pretty yeah. much nailed everything that I would probably say about Alien. I'm also with yeah. you in that I think Alien is a better movie than Aliens, at, mm-hmm. at least for me. Um, I think the, the franchise and the world of Alien is like awesome. And like yeah. it, it led me to like really enjoy the explorations that happen in, in Prometheus and uh... Uh, Prometheus, a movie that I actually like as well. Yeah. A lot of people don't, but I think Prometheus is, is quite good. Absolutely. Um, and also I, I guess I have to shout out since we're talking about a sci-fi horror event horizon. Hmm. Cause I haven't actually seen event horizon. It's good. But, it's not yeah. amazing, but it's good. Yeah. Alien. What a, that's a solid pick for number five. Mm-hmm. I love it. My, so num- what's yours? my number five, uh, underrated, I would have to say. And it came up in my, my 30-day film challenge. This is 2019 Ad Astra, directed by James Gray. Oh. Have you, seen it? Have you seen it, Hugo? I don't, I don't think... No, I have not. seen it. I saw it in theaters. Oh, what a great film to watch in theaters, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one of the most beautiful sci-fi films of recent memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, it's, it's Daddy Issues, the movie. Is is the short it, elevator pitch uh, on it? I don't. What what I call it is either Brad Astra or <laughs> Apocalypse Now in space. No, but but it two. is though. Like it it, it, it is, is. Yeah, it really is. And honestly, I think I enjoy. I think you'll hate me for this, but I enjoy this movie more than Apocalypse Now. Uh, I I think the the narration works uh, very much for me. James Gray, what a special director. I, I mm. remember one after I, I need watched, to watch more stuff by him. That's okay. As soon as I left at Astro, I was like, I need more James Gray in my life. And I went home and I watched The Lost City of Zed. Which And it was good? Yeah, it was really good. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean I love I love the way Ad Astra tackles uh, um I guess the future. Um mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of without spoiling it, it's like the moon. There's there's a an airport on the moon. Um, yeah. and, and it's not like the cool way you would normally think sci-fi does it. It's literally, it literally looks like an airport and there's like a subway advertisement yeah. there. And it's like, that is exactly what humanity would do if we like started traveling into space and like sure. more commonly is and like, let's look for ways to commodify this. It's, it's all based on quote unquote reality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that even space travel is portrayed and how long it takes and why it took so why they they lost communication with this faraway space station it's all very realistic uh, in a sense uh, i think which makes the movie uh, even more tense than it would be 
got us got snubbed for a lot of stuff come come oscar season i i don't think yeah. many audiences saw it or those that did thought it was boring because it is a slow film it's james gray of course uh mm-hmm. and <laughs> i remember my friends when i told them like yo watch ad astra they texted me like hey stop trying to make ad astra a thing and they, <laughs> they refused to watch it which made me which made me mad man I, I, more people need to watch this movie it's it's a one of the the very good recent uh original sci-fi films for sure yeah mm, that's that's some, those are my notes for ad astra brad pitt also like fantastic i think he he will never get the credit that he deserves i think in so many films he's so and and donald sutherland making an appearance natasha leone is in this movie yeah tommy lee jones of course tommy lee jones of course yeah yeah great 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 film yeah good pick interesting pick what is your number four my number four oh we're getting into the heavy hitters man yeah yeah because my number four is Blade Runner 2049. Which you won't get to talk about. Your number four then. Children of Men. Hell yes. So, so let's go back to you because I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on it first. Um, Children of Men was my number eight. Uh, but again, it's it's not necessarily a, a slight on the movie. It's like, as I said, my top eight are all absolutely fantastic and movies that I adore. Like these are all movies that are like in my top fifty movies of all time. All of them. Yeah. Um, Children of Men is for me one of the most interesting and original sci-fi premises uh, of like of this century. Um, this idea of it's not post-apocalyptic it's a, a society in which everyone knows the end of humanity is coming mm-hmm. and it's an exploration of how our society and our governments and the people would react to that revelation and it does so in such a smart way uh, because it, it it does through like this main character that's kind of given up and doesn't really care about anything, and he's kind of a snarky asshole. And he's like, whatever happens, he's like, oh, I don't, I don't give a shit. I'll just give me the money. And he's like, not really that invested until he is. Um, and it explores all these these very very prescient themes of of races racism and xenophobia, and uh, how sort of the more advanced uh, in bracket, you know, quote unquote, advanced societies are quite often also the most intolerant towards people who are, you know, maybe poor looking for a better life. And it has all of this seriousness. And at the same time, it has an incredibly intelligent sense of humor and it knows how to lighten the mood when it has to and how to be extremely dark when it has to. And on top of all this, the filmmaking and the direction is yes. absolutely insane. Like the way the camera moves in this film, the way the camera doesn't cut in this film is stunning. Stunning. Some of the sequences that are always from the point of view of the characters that we care about. And there's actioning, action happening, but the camera doesn't necessarily focus on the action. It focuses on the reaction our characters have to the action. And it never cuts and it moves with them. It's it's just incredible. It's honestly breathtaking. This movie has some of the best long takes. Like ever. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Al- Alfonso Cuarón. That whole sequence. 
the the whole sorry sorry to interrupt but no, okay. the, there's one famous sequence that is one big long take at the end but i think one that's overlooked is the, the scene in the car yeah yeah yep oh, absolutely the scene in the car is so incredible and the way it just in a second completely switches tone is oh, it's fantastic. so good man i i i think yeah. i think i want to rewatch this movie pretty soon uh, you should clive owen is I, I don't think there's an argument to be made this is probably clive owen's best role Alfonso Cuaron, this is one of the best living directors of our time. Yes. Uh, more people need to watch his movies. Uh, I got a lot of shit from Cam Hawkins when I was streaming uh, me making this list because he wanted gra- <laughs> he wanted uh, Gravity. Um, he, he His favorite quote on oh, film is Gravity. Oh, no. This, this is, I think, considerably more interesting than Gravity. I, I agree. And this... The, like the themes that are explored here, I think, are mm-hmm. more fascinating, and I think yeah. they go way deeper than anything Gravity was doing. I think Gravity oh, to yeah. me is is um, I, I, okay. It's better at oh okay. I, I'm not even gonna say it's better at spectacle, but it concerns itself with a lot of its spectacle set in space. Mm-hmm. I would say even the the spectacle in Children of Men is probably better, uh, and yeah. because it's grounded. I I would agree. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot lot of questions here about futurity, um, mm-hmm. like you mentioned uh, about like. I mean, I guess even eco-criticism in a way, but also I guess the way governments or humanity was, would respond to impending doom is just so beautiful. And also, we've got Pink Floyd references. We've got a Radiohead soundtrack in this. Not soundtrack, Hell but yeah. a song. This, one, of, one of my favorite movies, period. Not even just sci-fi, but movies in general. Children of Men. What an amazing and pick. Can we talk about Michael Caine? Yeah, Sir so Michael good. Caine. Oh, <laughs> he's actually he's, like Michael Caine is good in this movie. Like he's really good. Fucking amazing. Like his character is absurd, but in the best way possible. I absolutely adore him in this film. And yeah, I, I think I, I would go into spoilers if I go too deep. on We this, should but not. We should. And not for this movie. I, I won't. I won't spoil it. But the way this film deals with race. And as I said, xenophobia and the way, you know, there might be hope for humanity in this world is, is I think, incredibly, incredibly relevant. And it, I think it gets way more relevant with age. Like in, in the post-Brexit, post-Trump era, mm-hmm. it's even more important as a film uh, than it was in 2006. So there we have it. Even more reason to rewatch it now. Yeah. Can I guess what your number three is? You can try. Is it 2001 Space Odyssey? Hell yeah, it is. I knew it. All right, let's get into it because I had mine at number eight. Okay, you start then. I mean, what is there to say? Like, this is quintessential <laughs> sci-fi watching. I When I first watched it back in like very early undergrad, probably my freshman year or, or, or sophomore year, <clears throat> I kind of tried mm. like charting that line somewhere in between there i watched 2001 a space odyssey because it's one of the movies period that like you should watch before you die and i agree yeah when i first watched it i i almost hated it i didn't like it because it was slow because it was because it's hard because it's challenging because it it, it, it is. escapes interpretation and that's the point um mm-hmm. and it was also my i think my first kubrick so there was a lot wow. going down with, with my viewing yeah what's going on yeah uh but it, I remember thinking that it was, despite it being slow, despite it being hard, it was also beautiful. 
Um, it was also thought provoking, especially the mm-hmm. more I thought about it after I watched it. Um, and of course, and I'm going to throw this word around a lot as we get into the top three here for me, it's sublime. Um, this is the definition of sublime in, in the most like yeah. Kantian way possible. <laughs> Fucking Kant. Uh, but yeah. just a, a few more things I want to mention here before we probably pass it off to you. Um, like it gets better with each viewing. I, I, I watched this recently before COVID at one of our independent theaters here in Portland. Um, mm-hmm. We had a live organ who was playing the score. And it was like, and yeah, it's it's a 35 millimeter print and it was just like fantastic. Oh, did you, did you get to see the restored version? I believe so. I believe so. There's this restored version that's been going around in 35 millimeters and 70 millimeters that has been overseen by Christopher Nolan, actually. Oh, really? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It has has like the original intermission, eight minute intermission, and you can see some of the film grain where the, the, the actual print was like ruined yep. it for time mm-hmm. yeah great version i and, saw that as well and uh the score the way it's both curiosity yeah. inducing but also extremely haunting especially like in like in juxtaposition with the monolith that's shown always yeah. extremely eerie but it's it, it's also like, terrifying it's really terrifying yeah but it, it's the way like it, it interpolates me the way like i want like it fascinates me i want to know more despite it being terrifying mm-hmm. the use of classical music Hell 9000 with like some of the most uh, rememberable lines in film. Mm-hmm. The set design is masterful. The practical effects are masterful. Kubrick is, I mean, this is, of course, I think Kubrick's masterpiece. Just think about when this film was made. I know. This is, I this is, know. N- this is nine years before Star Wars. <laughs> that's, it's that's your marker for what? Absolutely <laughs> insane. Because Star Wars, like in, in a lot of, I think, uh, like Dude, the popular this is idea before we went is to the Star moon. Wars. Yeah, it is before they went to the moon, isn't it? Yeah, it's fucking. It's incredible. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, it, like Star Wars is credited with inventing a lot of special effects techniques that would become the standard going forward, and it did. But look at two thousand and one: A Space Odyssey and find anything else from the sixties that looks remotely close to this. There is nothing. 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 It's it's just it's incredible what they were able to do the and colors too oh my god everything everything just the special effects in general are just wild and that this is where kubrick this is why kubrick is a genius because he he is as much a poet and storyteller as he is a technician and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This allows him to have the most visually and uh, uh, technically groundbreaking films while also having a very, very strong foundation of, you know, philosophical speculation or psychology or character development or, and that all that sort of stuff. So for me, uh, this film, I almost wanted to put it at, at number one just because I think there's no sci. There's sci-fi before 2001, and then there's sci-fi after 2001 Absolutely. in cinema. And I don't think there's any film that came after it that is concerning itself with either space exploration or AI or just this concept of meeting a, sort of an extraterrestrial civilization that has ambiguous intentions towards humanity. I don't think there is one film that does this and you can 
and it can avoid completely to have to engage with what 2001 did. And in that sense, I think it's the most important sci-fi film ever made because yep. literally you cannot, you cannot ex- escape it. You cannot escape it. Even, let's say, Arrival. Don't you think that the the idea of the monolith is somewhat absolutely represented in Arrival with the aesthetic of it? There's something about it that is always has to do with that concept that comes from this monolith that exists to come to Earth and sort of stimulate human evolution and development. Although it was not inspired by the monolith. It was actually inspired by a real-world ovioid uh, asteroid moon. I know. I know that it wasn't. But it, it, but still, the it, it's not just the aesthetic. It's also the, the concept of the story itself. Oh, yeah. Something yes, about I agree. it. That, I agree. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, it. yeah, you, you mentioned all the incredible achievements of this film. And for me, it's that that final Stargate or oh. wormhole sequence at the end that goes into... Because this was a main... We have to also think about this. This was a mainstream release. Could you imagine like at, being in the 60s and like, watching this? Like, at the time, uh, Kubrick's movies were movies that made money for the general public. And the last 30 minutes of this film go into full surrealism and feel almost detached. Their own, it's like its own experimental short film that you don't even understand if it has to, anything to do with the rest of the movie or not. And just the visuals of how they do it and the way it cuts back and forth between just the, this, this visual of the colours and his face getting more and more kind of terrified of what's happening. And, and then that final sequence at the end, again, inescapable. Look at the design of the final room in Inception. It's designed after this. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It the squares and all that stuff. It's designed after this. It's just this movie is is stunning and sort of ineffable. That it's unclear what it is and what it's about and what it's trying to say. And so any interpretation that you have of it is is I think valid. Yeah, and it is just yeah, endlessly influential and completely inescapable. Do you want to hear something fucking hilarious? Yes. My rating on Letterboxd is only sitting at four stars for this for 2001. Oh, wow. Like at least a half yeah. star more. It deserves at least. You gotta a half star. you gotta update those ratings, my man. Yeah, a lot of them I, I did when um, I first got the app in 2017. Yeah, I just, you know. Yeah. You just went through all the stuff that you've seen over the years. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah four it makes stars. Sense. Why not? It makes sense. Um. Your number three, I guess. My number three is probably uh, a direct response to your film. Uh, mm-hmm. Would not happen without your your pick. Um, mm-hmm. And if I'm being objective, is is not better than your pick. But for me, mm-hmm. this is like my favorite over 2001, which is 2014's directed by Christopher Nolan, baby. Let's go, Interstellar. <laughs> what a film, Hugo. <laughs> it gets way too much shit by people. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Yeah. I was I was joking around earlier when I said it for Wally, but I kid you not, this is probably like legit, legit. As a contemporary person in society, this like this is my interstellar. 
or my, my interception. This is my, this, this is my 2001. Yeah. The same mm-hmm. way I imagine someone in, in 1968 going to see the movie and going to see something that like completely blew them away. That was mm-hmm. my experience for Interstellar. Let me say a few things that will hopefully give me a good grace with some people. Um, okay. I will tell you why I love it. Um, of course, when we think about Interstellar, we think about its spectacle. But for me, mm-hmm. what what I think elevates it is that at the heart of the film, uh, it's about a re- the relationship between Matthew McConaughey and and his daughter, and it never Murph. <laughs> And you can, uh, and of course, I joke around about. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, I joke about it all the time too because it's it's funny. But the way it that it, it it doesn't it doesn't like the film doesn't forget that the entire way through. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's valid criticisms about the way um, its metaphors turn literal. And and the, and yeah, I agree with those. For me, it's it's the emotional like gravitas attached to those moments that really resonated with me. And like I, I think this is Hans Zimmer at his best. Um, yes, I, I was. This is, yeah, I think the one of the best scores of the decade, like easily. I love the story that Christopher Nolan gave Hans Zimmer, like one sheet of the script, and told him like to try and compose something, and that would eventually end up being the the cornfield chase music. Mm. Fantastic, I think. Of, With the organs. Oh. oh yes, dude, it, it's beautiful, and it make and it and it. It's weird because, again, it makes me feel curious. Um, it's giving me a sense of awe, of epicness, but it's also making me feel, like, melancholy in a way. And I, I find that really beautiful. And, of course, I'm thinking of the, the set design here in the movie as well. I'm thinking of the classic Miller's Planet scene. Like, is it, I, mm. I, I can't imagine anyone not listening to the show who does listen hasn't seen Interstellar. Yeah. And I will understand all of its criticisms, but... I am way too attached emotionally. And also the years of messages seen will always break me. This is probably the, one of my most watched movies. The scene where they come back and how long has it been? 23 years. Why didn't you sleep? I did for a while, but then, yeah. you know, I was just wasting my whole life just sleeping. And just this idea of this man that has had to live there for 23 years and just accept that maybe that was the end maybe that was it maybe that was all that he was going to experience for the rest of his life and just sit with it for 20 years that well for them it was 10 because of relativity that it you know it's good stuff it's good stuff oh yeah i agree so interstellar was my own in my honorable mentions and i agree with you that it it gets it gets way too much criticism because because it has a few moments of where I think Nolan gets into his own way where he he wants his movies to be complex and philosophical and out there just conceptually mm-hmm. but at the same time he really cares about the audience being along for the ride so I think he in this film he sort of gives into over explaining things sure and this for me is why why it doesn't for me reach the heights of 2001 because it 2001 shows you what happens and if you don't get it did, did i lose you and uh, you know 
a lot. And I think if the film could be 15 minutes shorter and just cut out a few of those, uh, you know, heavy exposition scenes here and there and be a masterpiece. That being said, I completely agree with you with the emotional grounded relationship at the core of the film, just sort of carrying you over throughout it. Because as long as it is and as spectacular as it is, because, you know, even the way deans are portrayed in this film and the way that they're so, you know, quote unquote, realistic um, and naturalistic compared to a lot of mm-hmm. sci-fi space cinema um, is ah, just breathtaking. The, the, you know, the black hole scene with a ship going, it's, you know, visually this film is, is something to, to behold. And it does stand with 2001 in that sense, just in the sense of awe that you feel while you're just watching this tiny ship go through space. Yeah. Well, there's no sound or is just the tiny score from, from Hans Zimmer, which, as we said, is fantastic. Um, but the reason you care about all this stuff is because you're with him on the journey, because you want him to get back to his daughter. And yeah, there were, there were quite a few moments where it just shatters you emotionally. Absolutely. It's the kind of film that I think while you're watching it, if you get wrapped up in the emotional side and in the spectacle of it, it's it's one of the films that while you're watching it, you think, oh, this this is one of the best films ever made. And for me, it kind of loses some of that sense once mm-hmm. you start sort of breaking it down and, and thinking about the different parts. And it, it just, I think it... Christopher Nolan can't get out of his own way to some extent. Yeah. But still a fantastic film. It's still, you know, it's, I, I think I have another four out of five rating, so I still love it yeah. despite some great criticisms score. that I agree with it. Yeah. Uh, I, I also, and, yeah, fantastic movie. I want to know one, uh, one last thing. I, I, one of my favorite theater experiences I got to, cause I was living near Los Angeles. So I got to see this movie at the uh, TCL uh, Chinese theater and on Hollywood. Mm. Uh, I think it was a 70 millimeter. Uh, I was sitting with, uh, no, no. I know it was for sure IMAX. Um, mm, fuck. Yeah, it, that sounds great. I don't remember like moving once when I once oh, the movie yeah. started. I was also. I want to give a shout out to the marketing for this movie because um, they didn't reveal anything. I don't actually remember it. They didn't reveal anything. It was all stuff um, that like pointed towards uh, space exploration, but they didn't show us any of it. So if you wanted to see it, you had to go see the movie. Oh. And I, I was like, let's, that's cool. Let's go. And honestly, for me, at the end of the day, all I'm looking for in my sci-fi movies is something cool that will make me feel things. And that yeah. is interstellar for me. And that's why it rates so high. Absolutely. Number two is good pick. I don't have any problems with it. So, yeah. Thank you, Hugo. Number two. Um, yeah, we're getting to, you know, I, I gave you all my philosophical picks and interesting picks and stuff. And now we get to Matrix? the just the love. No, number two is The Empire Strikes Back. Classic. Hell yes. This it's number two on my list. Um I I kind of use it as a stand-in for just Star Wars, because Yeah. M- Empire is is my favorite Star Wars movie, uh, along with The Last Jedi, I think. But it's you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to just talk about Star Wars as individual movies at this point. You just have to talk about the franchise as a whole yeah uh, that being said i do think empire is the one that establishes star wars as the myth and the, the sort of the the mod yeah the, i think the modern myth that it is and the, the big franchise that it has become because the first movie was groundbreaking 
Um, but the second one is the one that, you know, makes Vader the iconic character that he is, that introduces Yoda, that explains all these like sort of Eastern philosophy inspired uh, concepts of what the force is and this idea of balance between light and dark and only using your power for defense. And uh, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter, that kind of stuff. Um, I think visually it's one of the best looking Star Wars films. Um, the special effects are absolutely insane, uh, considering it was made in 1980. Yeah. Um, it has, you know, the most famous twist in a film of all time, which, again, it's another thing that it kind of gets overlooked in the same way that the ending of Inception gets overlooked, because everybody knows this. Apparently not for but... German viewers. What do you mean? Well, Vader, I, get, I think it was German. Vader means father. So uh, apparently like... Oh, oh, oh yeah. 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 Fair enough. <laughs> but otherwise, that's, yes, I agree. Good. Yeah. And, you know, the music, this is, this is the movie that introduces the Imperial March. Because oh. it wasn't in the first one. It's in this one. And it's, it gets weird. And it, on Dagobah, it gets weird and esoteric. You get that weird cave scene with Luke where he... It goes like 12 frames per second and he fights his father, but he's also fighting himself because it's a represent. It's, it's fantastic. It's just, it's one of the best sequels of all time. One of the best like adventure, sci-fi adventure films of all time. I know some people want to make the argument that Star Wars is fantasy, but it's fantasy in space with spaceships and lasers and, yeah. and, and, and lightsabers. So it, it's sci-fi and I think you can't have a top 10 sci-fi list without, or at least you can't have a top 10 sci-fi list episode of a podcast without at least mentioning Star Wars. I agree. Um, I, and also I wanted to say uh, growing up, I think on Spike TV, mm. they were always playing the trilogy, the original trilogy. Mm. And I would, I, every time it was on, I would always just leave it because like these movies are fantastic. I think, Oh yeah. I would have to agree with you. I think a new hope is probably this, or sorry, not a new hope. Empire Strikes Back is probably the stand-in for Star Wars. Objectively, it's probably the better film. My favorite is still, mm -hmm. I think, A New Hope. Um, hmm. I love the binary sunset scene. Probably one of my favorites Dude, yeah. of, of Star Wars. Oh, uh, but A New Hope is yes. like, what a, yeah. I, well, what is there for me to say that you haven't said already? What a movie. And obviously, as Honorable mentions, um, you know, the original trilogy is classic. Uh, the Last Jedi is, it in my mind, the best big franchise blockbuster of the 2010s. Um, Wait, the Force Awakens the is a Last fantastic Jedi film. The Last Jedi is the be the best. Yeah. Yes, for me it is. Okay, for me it is. Okay, and I'm that's fair. And I mean big franchise blockbuster in the sense of like. Marvel or DC or Star Wars, like the proper big IP franchise movie. I I don't most. I don't remember cheering for the Last Jedi the way I did for Endgame and Infinity War, but I understand where you're coming from. Uh, yes, but the Last Jedi is 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 cinema. <laughs> uh, that, that, the Last Jedi is a separate discussion. <laughs> it's a separate discussion. That the Last Jedi is is a director going into the biggest franchise in the world, or I guess the second biggest, if you want to make that argument. And but, elevating it. And just making it a film. Yeah. With themes and with a self-awareness of what that franchise is and what it means and making something that is so 
I don't know, artistic in a sense that the fans reject it completely. It's I'll... bold, it's beautiful, yeah. and it, I, yeah, again, I think it's the best one. I was one of them when I first came out, but I, I've come around since then. Oh, I've come wow. around. I've come around. <laughs> Amazing. We need to watch this together. You need to watch the director commentary, actually. Fuck. Ah. <laughs> I love it so much. Let's move on. I'll talk about this for an hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where we? So that was number two pick, correct? That was my number two. My number yes. two pick um, is one that I actually just had an episode about with uh, with Joe, Johanna Kirkby, mm-hmm. Johanna Kirkby, uh, which was all about Denisville News masterpiece Arrival. What a film, huh? Are you kidding me? This is yeah. Like if I had to have a top five, period, Arrival's mm-hmm. up there every time. Sublime, beautiful, tragic. You guys talked about Remember the Film, which you should get. Oh, my God. For those listening, if you yeah. haven't already listened to Remember the Film's Denis Villeneuve new episode, it was fantastic. I loved it. Just gushing about Villeneuve for, for a solid like, yeah. 90 it was minutes. Just yeah, it was like it was like made specifically for me. <laughs> yeah. Arrival is one of the most grounded sci-fi stories I think I've ever seen. One that mm-hmm. like... I didn't appreciate as much on my first viewing in the theater as much as I should have. Um, and I just didn't, didn't think I have, I don't think I have the tools that I have now when I first watched it. But even then, getting to that ending, which I won't spoil, and I'm just like, everyone I think about it, I sob. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. You can't help me out, it's, Hugo. It's hard to even uh, explain in words how how powerful that ending is um it's the kind of ending to a film that makes you sit there and just want to think about evaluate the your values and the the decisions that that you would make if you were in the main character's shoes and whether the life affirming because it is life it is yes. tragic but yes. it's also really life affirming decision that she makes absolutely is something that you would have the strength and the um, integrity to to take yourself or not uh, yeah it's it's honestly hard to describe how it makes you feel and amy adams yes um J- I have to credit Jeff because he said something that I was talking ah. to with about my friend. The, like, like literally the next day I listened to the podcast. I was like, I was just saying that. Mm. Like, Amy Adams, one of like the best actresses. And for some reason, whenever I'm thinking of like, what are the, my favorite actresses? Mm-hmm. I forget about Amy Adams. But every time I forget see about her, her, it's like, oh my God. And like her She's in this so role. Amazing. Oh, Unbelievable. She again. I'm gonna repeat something that I said. I remember the film, but this is an, another thing that was that was pointed out in. If you don't, if you know the channel uh, uh, Film Joy, uh, Movies with Mikey uh, on YouTube, he's a video essayist. He makes video essays about film, and he pointed out that she, throughout the film, is tasked with portraying human emotions that don't exist. Yep, because she's having to get into the mind space of something that is impossible and she has to sell you as an audience member on something on an emotion that you think she's feeling because the movie obviously has a big twist at the end that we won't spoil but 
actually she knows because she's read the script that the actual emotions that she's going through is completely different. So everything that she does, you can can interpret it either before you know the twist and then after you know the twist, it means something completely different. Yep. And I think in that sense, her performance is just, just stunning. And can we talk about just the aesthetic of the film? Oh, yes. Thank you. What, what specifically? Just, uh, it's just the, the design is so unique. Yes. Both of everything. Of, uh, yeah. But the spaceship, but the, the like, how many films about aliens have been made? Thousands, right? Films, Absolutely. TV shows, cartoons, comics, uh, like fucking video games. Yeah. And to make a film that looks both in terms of the actual spaceship and the design of the aliens themselves looks so unique and completely different from everything else is an achievement in itself, I think. There are so many video essays I could point to. They're like, this movie is fascinating just on a filmmaking level on its own. It, I, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm infatuated with this movie. It, it's no surprise. I, I Honestly, this is my original number one pick, but I made way for another one because I wanted this list to be a little bit different, a little bit interesting. Hmm. Oh, that makes it, sense. Credit to Johan Johansson as well, one of his last scores before he tragically passed. Oh, yes. Yes. Fantastic. So so good. And, and it, it's hard to talk about without me spoiling it, but yeah, this is movie is incredible. It's hard to talk about without spoiling, but yeah. The just the personal journey that she goes through yep. is the heart of the movie and is absolutely just just amazing. And it hits you once you know what's actually happening, it hits you even harder the second time that you watch the film. Yeah. And at the same time, the film is also doing this very, very interesting sci-fi premise and dealing with international cooperation between countries and how it it may or may not work and how the international community is kind of if if humanity cooperated all the time we would be in a better world and there's all sorts of stuff in this film and you the more you think about it the more you can read into it i, I didn't think you could make ted chang's story better but but they did man what a movie be on Great the lookout movie. for my podcast with with joe about it Listen, by this time, yeah. it's already out. Go listen to that. Yeah. Exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Final pick. So man. where are we at? Number one. Number one. So, well, I'm going to be the most obvious person in the world, but <laughs> my number one, uh, which is also, by the way, my favorite movie of all time, uh, The Matrix. Now, yeah. Now it's Hugo out. Hugo time. Hell yes. The f- ah. I don't even know where to start. Um, I already told the special, like, personal relationship that I have with this film. Um, but it's a film that has I've lived with for at this point. You know, I was nine years old. I'm 25 years old now, so 16 years. I watch it at least once a year, and every time it it means something different to me. It, like, I fell in love with it because it's one of the just the coolest action films that you'll ever see. Iconic. Uh, just every every action scene in this film I know by heart and it's entertaining every time that I watch it. And the way that it influenced just the way action films are made in Hollywood, because before this, there didn't used to be such a focus on choreography and there didn't used to be actors who learn like fucking Kung Fu to do the film. Um, it just wasn't something that happened. 
um, and they brought in like the some legends of Hong Kong action cinema to to actually direct uh, the action and and teach the actors how to actually do the stunts and all that. Um, and that was and that's just the most basic level in which you can read the film. Um, it, it's a film about. I think it's the best film about a lost war with AI. Uh, I think it takes concepts that you can see in, for example, in Terminator, and yep. runs with them and makes some make creates a world that is so so interesting and and so creative. It it's again. And on top of that, it's you know you can read it as a war against the AI, but then you can but then you can watch the sequels and problems though they may have, you can find in those the fact that oh yes, but it was humanity's intolerance towards the AI that led the AI to destroy humanity and do everything about the Matrix. Just the the fact that the Matrix itself, just the word has become a euphemism for saying uh, sort of a, a simulation reality. Yep. And that's just, again, this is all surface level. Then you can start reading into, you know, the, the way that the film is kind of a an interpretation of Plato's allegory of the cave, of a person that is in chain inside a cave and only seeing the shadows, uh, the light, the shadows that, come, that come in and are against the wall that come in from the light uh, that is the entrance to the cave will think, oh, this is the real world. This is reality. And this film, it runs with that and makes it this weird, crazy cyberpunk story where they, the AI have created this sci-fi world. Obviously, I'm spoiling The Matrix. Again, I doubt anyone hasn't seen The yeah. Matrix. Um, and again, this is this is just one level. You can read it. You can talk about how the film portrays diversity. Uh, in 1999, this film, look at the cast. All of the, obviously, the main, the protagonist is a white man. Actually, no, because Keanu is is part Asian, but you know it's identifiable as a white man. Uh, although Fishburne. the original cast, Lawrence Fishburne, you have uh, obviously Carrie Ann Moss, who's fantastic. Uh, you have the character of a switch, which is one of the hints that the film is actually um, a, a, a kind of a veiled metaphor for gender dysphoria. It's obviously the film made by not one but two trans women, and you start reading into that and looking at the metaphors and the, the way the red pill is the red, the pill that makes you wake up to your actual reality. And the red pill in the nineties, the estrogen pill that uh, transgender women wanted, uh, would have to take while they were undergoing their transition was red. It was a red pill in the nineties. Mm. It's blue now, but it was red in the nineties. And the character of Switch, who's called Switch, because initially it, she was going to... Because there's this concept that inside the Matrix, you have a given name. You have a given name and a chosen name. And all your friends call you by your chosen name. And the enemies who are the agents call you by your dead name. You know, that there's a, this big, massive scene where Neo says, I am Neo. This is my chosen name. And you're dead naming me because you're the antagonist. And... The character of Switch was initially supposed to be a character that was, uh, uh, I think, a woman in the real world and a man in the Matrix or vice versa, because her real image of herself was of another gender. Her real identity was uh, the opposite gender. Obviously, the studio didn't agree to that at the time. But, you know, so the film, even on that level, is a very, very personal story for the directors. And there's endless interpretation of the film. And I just absolutely love it to bits. I haven't seen The Matrix, I think, since 
probably high school. Oh, you so, need to so, re- you so, need to rewatch all three. So the gender um, discussion you were just having was metaphor. Metaphor, yeah, was. I mean, I was just intru- introduced to it just now. That's fascinating. I had I had it never is, read right? it like that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. The whole film, uh, the 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 whole Mister Anderson thing is literally dead naming because his identity is Neo, but his chosen his, his given name from before is Mister Anderson from the Matrix, from this like massive overseer of society that keeps the people enslaved in some way. And doesn't allow them to have their own identity and have their own choices. It it's once you start looking into it, the the metaphor is actually pretty evident. And I'm actually anticipating that in the in the Matrix Four, which is hopefully oh my coming god, out this I year. forgot about Matrix Four. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I'm anticipating that the film will delve into those uh, gender dysphoria metaphors even more explicitly, and it's going to make a certain subsection of fans who do not understand the matrix but have adopted the matrix with the whole red pill thing uh the fucking outright idiots right um they've adopted this film because they don't understand it and the new one is going to piss them off and it's going to be great i'm very excited do you remember last year when uh matrix 4 and john wick 4 were supposed to come out on the same day on the same day yeah And 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 Reddit started going insane, saying, "Oh, what? But what if the Matrix Four and John Wick Four are actually the same movie? And it turns out that the John Wick franchise is actually the Matrix all along." Wait, but that's it's actually kind of cool. I don't think it's it real, is, but right? I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> Gung Fu. Yeah. Oh, I fucking Gun love the Matrix, man! It, what a, like what a cool trilogy. Hell yeah! And yeah, Reloaded and uh, Revolu- Revolutions is obviously the worst one. But Reloaded is is actually a film that, if you watch it again with with kind of a different point of view, I think it is also great, although a bit meandering. And also the Matrix PS2 video game, very cool. I haven't played it actually. I mean, it was, it was probably fine, but for the time, very cool. <laughs> it was cool. It did look cool. Yeah. What a what a solid choice for number one. I love that. That's an awesome number yeah. one. <laughs> My number so one. So what about you then? Yeah. It, one that was on your list earlier, which I'm sure you know <laughs> what it is. Very surprising. I, have I a, do. I'd have another Denis Villeneuve pick. Played in 2049. <laughs> Are yeah. you kidding me? This movie, probably one of the best sci-fi movies ever made. And and, and yes. this, this is something I think I mentioned on, on my Blade Runner cast as well as the Villeneuve episode you guys did. This mm. movie took all of the the themes present in the original, yeah. and, and and made them I think probably better. I th- I think I enjoy Blade Runner twenty forty nine better, but it doesn't sacrifice any of of the world building or the stories present of, of the original film. Which mm-hmm. I I just I love this movie. It is so nuanced. It's so like visually cool and interesting. I love like all the meditations that there's going on about like. AI versus human, what it, it what it means yeah. to be human, what's real. I love everything going on with K. There's like a twist in oh, this yeah. movie. It's very it's a very small twist. Well, I guess yeah. hang yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, okay, it's, it's it's a twist. That like yeah. there's like red herrings going on. There's like, "Oh yeah, I had this movie cracked." And then like turns out I didn't. It, I just I love yeah. it. I love this movie, man. 
yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. This is uh, in my top ten movies of all time. Like I have, I obviously I love sci-fi. I have four sci-fi films on my top ten list. So there's my number four on our list is still one of my favorite movies ever made. Um, uh, yeah, it's it it really delivers on what the first one built. Uh, it explores that concept that idea because the the first one often mentions this idea of of more human than human and how maybe the replicants because they've had to endure human intolerance may actually have a chance to be more human than human and then to overcome some of humanity's shortcomings and that sort of stuff and what it and is is consciousness what defines humanity on a philosophical level or is it being born and yeah and and the way this film maintains all the mystery of the original because yeah you know that there's the the original film is intentionally left open on the true nature of deckard the protagonist also this film when we talk about the final cut of course we're talking about the final cut just we talk about the final cut of blade runner yeah for sure which is a masterpiece as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, as I said, it would have made my top 10 if we didn't have the rule. So yeah, right. fantastic film. Um, yeah, the film is intentionally ambiguous on the true nature of the protagonist, right? And this brings back Deckard and Harrison Ford. Man, he's so great in this film. Yes, He's fantastic because Harrison Ford has, you know, has been uh, has received criticism sometimes in his older age for kind of phoning it in and, and not it, giving it his all. It's his best. He's modern so Harrison good in Ford. this. Yeah, because yeah. he cares. He's he cares about this. this. And, and it, it, really that's, that's credit again to the filmmakers who had the respect for both the source material and the film that they're working with now that yeah. I, th- I think influenced Harrison Ford to, to bring it like his A game in acting for sure. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that they brought him back, but any like any other big studio sequel that happens 20 years later would have answered the question of whether Harrison Ford is or right. Deckard is replicant or not the fact that this movie doesn't is just it just is an encapsulation of why this movie is so fucking fantastic one of the one of the best sequels ever made i can't believe warner brothers actually let it happen yeah it's crazy considering the amount of money that was spent on this. Yeah. It's, yeah. But also at the same time, I think Warner Brothers is is to some extent quite guilty in not selling the film better to the public. They don't know uh, how to market it. No studios ever really know how to market movies. Let's be real. It's only it's only Disney, isn't it? I yeah, they they figured it out. Disney Disney are the best at marketing. Yeah. And, and yeah. Which, you know, can be good or bad depending on on how you want to interpret that but they certainly know how to sell you stuff and i feel like somebody at warner should should learn from it because this <laughs> film is one of the great great films of the last decade and the fact that it didn't make enough money at the box office is is extremely disappointing i, I could go about blade runner 249 all day to be honest it's it's incredible it's yeah Again, as you said, it's it's this big philosophical existential drama, but at the same time, it's like kind of just a relatively small kind of investigation story. Yep. 
That is dirty sci-fi at, at its heart, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The exactly. F- it is. It's exactly that. It's like this small investigation that has so much meaning and potentially means complete change for this this setting and this world. And uh, Kay as a character is such yeah. a great, great, great character. And the way his story is enhanced by meeting Deckard, by meeting the 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 creative of dreams if you want to call it that and by meeting joy anna de Armas in this film what a, another oh, incredible performance by her oh, and yeah. you you just love her instantly and then by the end of the film you realize that was the point like she her her character exists to be somebody you fall in love with and so of course you love her it's ah. And the way that enhances, you know, uh, Kay's search for what it means to be alive. And yeah, we could gush about this for hours. We had a discussion on, on the Blade Runner podcast about Ana de Armas' character, Joy, and um, mm. the ways we've like initially read it uh, versus mm. like later viewings. And yeah, the way it's 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 masterful. The way we think like yeah. thinking like, yeah, Joy, of course, is mimicking um or I guess joy is a representation of like wanting to be human the way uh, yeah. Officer K is. Um, mm-hmm. And then like unpacking that. And of course she's software designed to, uh, and, and like, again, enhance uh, the wants and desires of, of the owner. Exactly. So it's, oh man, it, this movie yeah, is, and, is fantastic. And that means the movie is exploring different levels of artificial beings and different kinds of artificial beings one that is able to replicate humanity but maybe doesn't really have self-consciousness and doesn't really have feelings and one that maybe does but it it poses all these questions and it leaves the audience to answer them and it doesn't over explain itself it doesn't tell you how to feel it's oh. and the ending man just the final scene of 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 deckard walking up those steps and k just lying there Oh, and, and it's unclear with, with what's going to happen. It's just like, they hit you with the score. That's uh, a, a take oh. on Vangelis's score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could tell nobody cared about this movie when I went to go see it, and I went to go see it in IMAX, and uh, mm. the, even the theater workers forgot to turn the lights off during the movie, and so someone from our audience had to go run out and be like, "Yo, can you turn the lights off, please?" Wow. Yeah, that's depressing. That's depressing, honestly. I think I think this might be my favorite film. Of the last decade. Deservedly so. This movie is so good. Yeah. Well, Absolutely incredible. Hugo, we're running out of tape here. Where are we at? Yeah. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Large Popcorn. Th- Hugo, thank you so much for talking sci-fi with me. I know this is probably uh, just as fun for you as it was for me. This this was a treat because I, I love this. I love all of this. Do me a favor and send me your list and I will add it to the show notes. Um, yeah, I'll probably add a few movies into my list as well before I even publish it. Um, For sure. Folks, remember to give us a sub to stay up to date with all our cinema thoughts here on Large Popcorn. Hugo, where can people find you? Um, people can listen to my other podcasts, uh, the Film Club podcast, Remember the Film. Uh, we're recording tomorrow. And, well, I guess this goes up uh, quite a while later, but we're recording. <laughs> we record every Sunday. The, the podcast usually goes up on Sundays or Mondays. Uh, we have a whole bunch of episodes that you might enjoy. 
so good. You can find that at anchor.fm slash remember the film or on YouTube. Uh, just search for remember the film on YouTube. Um, I also host uh, another podcast, which is called I'm So Tired. And I do that with Islam, who's also been on Large Popcorn. And the podcast is kind of a, a, a podcast where we bullshit around and talk about random pop culture crap that we want to talk about that week. So sometimes it's games, sometimes it's movies. It, it, there's a whole bunch of stuff. It's crazy, and there's not a real hook to it, but it's fun to do. Um, well, the hook, yeah, the hook is me. the charisma that you guys bring to the table. It's so it's awesome. The back and, and forth uh, is I don't, I, I don't like to talk about myself that way. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I'll do it for you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's lovely. Uh, you can also, you know, follow me on Letterbox at Hugo underscore P, or follow me on Twitter at Hugo underscore Pinai. Oh, I, I don't think I have your. Letterbox here added yet, and I will add that. There we go. Thanks. Um, be on the lookout for some more amazing episodes on the docket. We're finishing up our Lord of the Rings trilogy up with with Griffin and and Dustin, um, and some other su- surprises coming shortly. We got uh, Aaron from Awesomely Average finally coming on the show to talk about some cool movies. We're doing our first superhero comic book movie with. Uh, James Mangold's Logan, which should be a fun episode. Mm. That is going to do it for us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Until next time, in Denis, we trust. <laughs>